What lady is that which doth enrich the hand of yonder knight? Next Chapter Podcast presents the play on podcast series, Romeo and Juliet. She doth teach the torches to burn bright. With original songs and music in a made-for-the-soundstage podcast. From Cupid's quiver, courage, I'll Have not saints' lips and holy palmers, too. Translated into modern English verse by Hansel Jung. I, pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer. Hear Shakespeare's tragedy about two star-crossed lovers as you've never imagined it before. You kiss by the book. Adapted from the acclaimed Nat Cohen Two River Theater production. Can I move forward when all my heart is here? Go to playonpodcast.com to learn more. And remember, violent delights have violent ends. Um, okay, that was us having a little bit of fun. I don't know how many listeners are aware of this thing called ASMR. It stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Okay, I never knew what it stood for, actually. Right. It basically means that some people get chills when they hear someone whispering in a certain way or tapping their fingernails on a book or turning pages. I mean, those are all things that happen at a library every day. Exactly. So there's this whole subculture associated with people who get these satisfying chills when they hear sounds like that. And then there's a sub-subculture of folks who particularly enjoy library sounds. And there are thousands of hours of library ASMR videos on YouTube. So naturally, we could not resist adding to the treasure trove. Hmm. Maybe we should stop podcasting and switch over to the ASMR YouTube world. That's a public service, right? Yeah, I'm not sure about that. I'm sure it lines up with the mission. (laughs) Okay, I mean, fair enough. How about we stay in our lane and just bring you an episode about sounds at the library? That sounds more like our speed. Today on Borrowed, from defunct recording technology to vinyls comeback, to a conversation with the world's first two podcast librarians. You're in for a treat. I'm Krissa Corbett-Kavoris. And I'm Adra Ducey. You're listening to Borrowed, stories that start at the library. Hi, I'm Glory Adam host of Well-Read Black Girl. Each week, we journey together through the cultural moment where art, culture, and literature collide and pay homage to the women whose books we grew up reading. It's the literary kickback you never knew you needed. Listen to Well-Read Black Girl on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. You know, Krista, I don't think we've ever explicitly pointed it out, but our theme song uses actual sounds recorded at Central Library. Our composer, Billy Libby, whose name you hear at the end of every episode, incorporated the sounds of our checkout machines and our cavernous Central Lobby. And a child laughing. Which is actually my child when he was a baby. So cute. 
This reminds me that one of our retired librarians, Vicki, who helped me produce Brownsville Excerpts podcast, made a library song way back when, and then later, teens at the library recorded and remixed it with sounds from BPL. Oh my goodness. Can we hear that? Of course. Here it is. Well, it's the place for you and the place for me. It's the Brooklyn Public Library. We got books and things that we lend for free. It's the latest, it's the greatest, it's the library. Hello, welcome to the Brooklyn Public Library. That song was made by teens at the library in 2017 and the Brownsville Excerpt sound engineer, Lewis Thompson. It's a good time to mention that the library is no longer a quiet place full of shushing librarians. When you enter one of our branches today, you're liable to hear story times, discussion groups, concerts, and even just kids having fun. But 125 years ago, the library would have sounded quite different. Right. Libraries at the turn of the century were intended as places for quiet reading and serious study, places to improve the minds of the common man. Of course, we don't know exactly what our libraries sounded like in 1896 when BPL was founded, because even if someone did step into one of our branches to record the sounds of patrons reading or checking out books, not many recordings from that era survive at all. That's true. If you were going to record anything in the 1890s, you would likely have had to use a wax phonograph cylinder. So an audio cylinder is one of the earliest inventions for sound recordings that has ever been created. This is Natiba Guy Clement, the Assistant Director for Collections and Public Service at the Center for Brooklyn History. It's essentially a hollow wax cylinder, um, usually about five centimeters in diameter and 11 centimeters long. Each cylinder could record for up to about two minutes and wax cylinders became commercially available in 1889. One of the oldest recordings in our collection was made in 1927. It's a recording of Sally Maria Diggs, the young girl who came to Brooklyn in 1860 as an enslaved person. The famous Reverend Henry Ward Beecher, quote, auctioned her freedom, essentially galvanizing his Brooklyn congregation to give their money to purchase her freedom. Sally Maria Diggs was freed, later married, and became Rose Ward Hunt. She returned to Brooklyn in 1927 to speak at the 80th anniversary of Plymouth Church, where she had appeared over 60 years before. It's an important moment in history, and we're lucky to have a recording of her voice. But the technology itself proved to be a bit of a barrier. So because the process to create a digital recording of a wax cylinder requires having uh, appropriate equipment, uh, in this case, it would be a cylinder transfer machine, which is not something that we have on-site at the Center for Brooklyn History. In 2010, we were able to use an outside vendor to digitize the recording of Sally Maria Diggs so anyone can hear her voice. Here's Sally Maria Diggs speaking to us from 1927, recorded on wax and then digitized so that her words can travel all the way to your ears. And I greet you and congratulate you upon this 80th anniversary. I feel it a great privilege to join you in your celebration and especially to extol the memory of one whose name always seems to me to be the complement of Plymouth Church Brooklyn, a Reverend Henry Ward Beecher. Sally 
Lindsay's voice also lives on the Internet Archive for all to hear for free. And while that's incredibly valuable, Natiba said that she will preserve the original recording too. It's always our goal here at CBH to preserve as much original material that we can and can do that safely. Uh, Not just because the content on the cylinder is irreplaceable, but the physical cylinder as an artifact is also really, really rare. So it's good for us to be able to have that and have it stored safely for future generations. Natiba also mentioned that the Center for Brooklyn History has more digitized archival audio and film, all documenting Brooklyn's history. We'll put links to all of those recordings, plus a picture of what a wax phonograph cylinder looks like on our website. We also have a whole borrowed episode about Sally Maria Diggs and the free black communities that were thriving in Brooklyn at the time of her first visit to the borough. We'll link to that as well. It is so wild to think about how many formats we have abandoned since the dawn of recorded sound. Even just in our lifetimes, we talked to Norman Erickson, an adult services librarian at Central Library, who's been with BPL for 30 years. So he's seen many media formats come and go. Phonograph records, cassette tapes, film strips. What a film strip is, is basically a static image on a screen. You know, you would have to, you have to sit there and turn it manually to get the picture to show up on the screen. And it used to have a record to go with it. And it would go beep, and then you'd have to turn the screen. Phonograph records, cassette tapes, film strips. I'm willing to bet that most listeners wouldn't be able to play those things if they were given the opportunity. And because a library has to remain modern and relevant to its patrons, we had to update our recorded audio and film collection. And sometimes updating means, well, throwing things out. Okay, in the library world, it's called weeding, which is a much kinder term. But it's basically the same idea. Oh, yeah. I had fun throwing them out. I threw out the microfilm. I threw out the videotapes. Yeah, they sat in the basement for about two or three years and watched to see how many things were used and what people... We were monitoring it before we, you know... And then one day we realized that they hadn't moved in three years. It's time to go. Not everything got trashed, of course. Some of our items have more historical significance than, say, a VHS tape of Austin Powers. The films, we ended up giving those to Pratt. They had an archival film history collection, so they went there. And what wasn't archival, but not totally obsolete, we sold to purchase new and more accessible audio formats. Records, ELPs, we sold them. Now vinyl's coming back. I laugh hysterically. It was like, oh, when the the arrival of the the compact disc in the early 1980s will spell the doom of the LP and the cassette. Well, LPs are back. Vinyl is back. You turn the, the machine on, you press start, and the record starts spinning. And then you lift the um, record arm, place it gently on the record. And let's see what happens here. That last voice was Christine Schoenhart, director of Central Library. She, along with other staff at Central Library, are bringing vinyl back to patrons. Yeah, we're excited to launch, hopefully sometime this spring, reintroducing vinyl records to BPL, so probably about two to 300 records with a focus on Brooklyn and New York artists and musicians. So everyone from Wu-Tang Clan to 
um, the New York Philharmonic. So there's something for everyone. And you'll be able to check them out just like a book for three weeks. Um, we'll have instructions. If you don't know how to use a record player or how to play a record, we'll have instructions for you. And the great thing we're also doing is building a listening station. So say you see a record and you're like, I'm not sure I really want to borrow this. You could go over to the listening station, put on some headphones, play the record, um, decide if you want to take it or not. It's pretty good. Is it? The thing you hear a lot from people who listen to vinyl is that they do love that sound that comes from vinyl that you can't get in a digital recording. The the cackling, crackling and um, those those unique sounds you get when you play a record. I think that's sort of a an experience people um, enjoy. And also, records are beautiful objects, and I think bands who sort of appreciate a bit more of the aesthetics of <laughs> of the design get to do a really cool thing with with the format of a record too that really maybe wasn't as interesting on CDs or cassettes. Records can be pretty expensive. 30 to 40 dollars for a new release and even more than that for re-released classic albums. So Christine is anticipating that our upcoming vinyl collection will be pretty popular with audio loving patrons. We might run out of records right away. So if you do come in and don't see them, <laughs> um, you can place a hold on them. Um, you can always tell us what you're looking for, too, because while we're keeping the collection pretty small to begin with, we hope to be able to, to grow it um, if the demand is there. So I'm excited to see what, what people like. Christine showed our producer, Virginia, how to jump tracks on a record. She pulled out a Talking Heads album and demonstrated. So it, needle placement can be a little tricky sometimes as you're first learning, but don't fret. It's going to be fine. <laughs> You'll just learn how to start and stop your uh, song. Um, so, yeah, you just look for the groove along there. Cool. And then, let's see, we'll put another, another song on. BPL's vinyl collection and the listening station aren't here yet, but they will be coming to Central Library early this summer. So audiophiles, watch out for that. In the meantime, we should plug all of the other cool music-related items we have for checkout at our libraries. We still have CDs, and we now have digital music that you can stream. And there's the Libby app, where you can check out audiobooks digitally to your phone or computer. And if you do have old cassette tapes, VHSs, or vinyl that you can no longer listen to, you can actually bring them to the Info Commons at Central Library, and we have devices where you can convert those sounds to a digital format. Plus, our recording studio at the Info Commons has just reopened to the public, so you can reserve time to record your music or spoken word or even your podcast right here at the library. And the Musical Instrument Lending Library is back in operation after a pause during the height of the pandemic. We have bongos, we have guitars, we have ukuleles, violins, we even have a cowbell. You can check out an instrument for four weeks from our art and music department at Central Library. Art and music is also where our sheet music collection lives. We have over 17,000 items in that collection. Scores for operas, musicals, and movies, as well as chamber music ensembles and sheet music for pop songs. You can browse the collection at Central or check out our collection online. Uh, okay, Ajua, I think we're leaving out uh, one very important audio format. Oh, yeah? What is that? 
podcasts. Much of the time when I want to listen to something, I reach for my phone and I open up my podcast app. So which podcasts are you listening to these days? Well, I think the things I never miss are Slate Culture Gab Fest and Who Weekly, which is a sort of celebrity dishy culture podcast. Um, but these days I'm really obsessed with uh, Trojan Horse, which came out of Serial Productions. Um, I listened to it over the course of like three days. I couldn't stop listening. Um, Ajwa, what are you, what's in your ears right now? Um, I can never get enough of Scam Goddess with Lazy Mostly. And I'm really digging Nosy Neighbors uh, from Spotify. They're both comedy podcasts and it's good to laugh uh, in these trying times. <laughs> as much as I would like to find and try out new shows, it is kind of hard. Right. It just doesn't always work to like throw a search term into the podcast app and find something. It it doesn't seem to work that way. And even if you do come up with a list of podcasts related to like parenting or something, right, it's hard to tell whether you're getting a chat show or a narrative deep dive or reporting or even who the audience of the podcast should be, right? The podcast ecosystem is sort of a wild west when it comes to organization. If any of our listeners are podcast makers themselves, you'll know that you have to input categories and terms when you publish your show. You're either an arts and culture show or a kids and family show, but organization really ends with those broad category topics. Someone's definition of a kids and family podcast is very different because kids and family are two different categories, and whether something is about kids or for kids are two completely different things. This is Mayan Plout, currently the growth marketing manager at an accessibility technology company called 3Play Media. And I bring it up as an example because it's probably the most classic example of like where that can go terribly wrong if you're just like, ah, yes, the kids and family category is totally fine for my kid. And then what you get is two moms drinking and talking about the fact that they can't handle dealing with their kids doing something that day. You don't want your like six-year-old to hear that. We talked to Mayan recently because she had a very unique job right at the intersection between librarianship and the wild west of modern sound, podcasting. I hold, I guess, the honor of being the world's first podcast librarian, which I was from 2016 through 2020 at the company Radio Public. That is a seriously cool title. So, listeners, we wanted to end our Library Sounds episode by playing a bit of our conversation with Mayan and Norman Cella, the world's second ever podcast librarian. He works for a company called Podchaser and actually joined us from his home in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. Neither Norman nor Mayan have library science degrees, but they both said that they think the title librarian is extremely useful when thinking about their jobs. Here's Mayan again. I'm actually the daughter of a librarian. Um, my dad uh, was a elementary, middle, and high school librarian for about 20 years. He just retired this past school year. And I had sort of a series of existential crises when I was sort of gifted this title of podcast librarian because I was not trained as a librarian. I just love libraries more than anything in the whole world. I've also been communicating with a few librarians, like in private messages, etc., just for uh, just seeking guidance in in terms of how is it that you're how do you accommodate for those who are looking for specific books or specific entries? What's your workflow? How, what questions do you ask? How do you prompt them? What do they prefer to search by? Maybe they prefer a specific author. Maybe they prefer a specific um, set of attributes by a specific author. Maybe it's a category, etc. Do they follow specific systems? So, how would you describe your job to someone who hasn't heard of it? So. 
a podcast librarian's role or responsibility is to organize and categorize and credit all of the information related to a podcast or a show or an episode that is currently existing up until now. That's a lot of content. As an aside here, I did some research on the numbers. There are over 2 million podcasts in existence. And as you said, there's no universal system for organizing podcasts. So how do you do your job? A lot of the systems that are set up for libraries are about finding physical things in physical places. And podcasts are not physical things and they are not in physical places and can exist in multiple places at the same time, which was a totally different mindset for me about how do we help people find something that could be categorized under 20 different categories. There are flaws with every (laughs) organizational system and the biases that come in with all of that. And given that podcasting is a grassroots medium, it seemed wrong to try and want to impose a top-down structure. And rather, we we are at a very early stage of figuring out how do we actually group this stuff. Um, I don't think that it makes sense only for corporations to group things. As of now, the only way that you can categorize podcasts, she says in giant air quotes, is to use the various categories that every single podcasting platform asks you to use. But there are zero definitions about what that means. And as far as I understand, the Dewey Decimal System, a very common way of classifying books and media in libraries, has some definition about what each of those different numbers mean. Doesn't mean that they're right, but they exist. And that actually doesn't exist in podcasting. Yeah, adding on to that, that that responsibility of articulating this strange complexity, which is all of these intangible pieces of data. How can we make it so that the the common person walking to the world of podcasting can easily reach it is such a simple question to ask, but such a very difficult one to answer, mainly because of all these variables. And the the factor of it being user-created was a big thing, especially in um, a lot of the events that have gone through in terms of figuring out, oh, why is it that this show is falling behind on their discovery? When they're asking us and we're like, we, we don't know, maybe maybe it's because that the way that they have formatted their podcast, which is something technically out of our control, makes it very difficult for that search, that cue, that discovery to happen. You're essentially trying to create an organizing system for massive amounts of audio. So what does a good organized podcast ecosystem look like? This is where we need more podcast librarians because I, I myself, I'm, I'm, I'm scared of my own biases because... Well, like I, I work in Podchaser. We are a database. Like, so we have all this data incoming. I'm looking at this data all the time, but that's only just one angle. I'm worried that maybe there are other people who have another angle and then they don't have the, the voice or the position or the title to even introduce another idea or another perspective. So yeah, in an ideal world, like ideally a, a, a discovery assistant that is catered to one search behaviors which can parse through all the data for an episode from transcriptions to language. And I'm saying language because like I'm on the other side of the world. So we got to see a lot of like non-English language podcasts too, because there's going to be people who want to find a show because they want to listen to it. And then there are going to be other people who are going to find a show because they want to reach out and email the podcaster to say thank you. And those are one of the best like things to witness as a podcast librarian. With podcasting, like my my grand huge dream was to be able to categorize things more humanely. My hope is that with better organization and better systems of finding things, finding each other, podcasting feels a lot less lonely. 
As a final question, another part of being a librarian is connecting readers with books that they're going to love. So in the spirit of librarianship, what have you been listening to that you can recommend for us? <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I have one. Um, one show I always like to recommend to people to listen to is uh, Indian Noir, which is a an amazing horror-themed uh, podcast. There's something really captivating about the way that Indian Noir does um, their shows. It's a master show, so it's a master show. There's a there's one feed, but it's multiple shows within that one podcast. So for those who prefer one specific genre or one specific type of story or one specific long-form show, you just follow the specific episodes that that correlate with that one, and then you can go, on, go ahead with that. I have always been really attracted to narrative shows that make me fantasize or imagine things because podcasting is like one of the best ways to prompt you with the right triggers, the right phrases, the right imagery, and this amazing long-form intimate relationship with this other person who is speaking into my earlobes is going to be with me for the next few weeks as I'm listening to their every episode. So yeah, Indian Noir, highly recommended. The show that I probably listen to the most is this excellent two to six minute Used to be daily, now three times a week podcast called The Best Advice Show. But it's just people talking about ways that they live their life better. Um, and I love the host. I love the way in which things are recommended. And I have taken really small tips from that show and incorporated them in my own life, which it's, yeah, it's a very beautiful, very beautiful show. I also find just absolute pleasure every time I see a new episode of the podcast, This Is Good For You pop into my feed. And that makes a lot of sense because it's a podcast all about pleasure and specifically all of the things that you don't do for somebody paying you. Don't monetize your hobbies. Um, and I, I, like, I, I've loved every episode of this show, but the one that I most recently listened to was specifically about walking. And I saw it come up and I was like, I cannot listen to this podcast doing anything other than walking. And I dropped everything and went on a walk while listening to a podcast about walking. <laughs> Thank you so much, Mayanna Norman. And listeners, in lieu of a book list, we are going to have a listening list for you, including Mayanna Norman's podcast recommendations, some of our own recommendations, and other listening delights from our library. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me, Krissa Corbett-Kavoris and Adjua Aduse. Bard is produced by Virginia Marshall with help from Fritzi Bodenheimer, Jennifer Prophet, and Robin Lester-Kenton. This episode was written by Virginia Marshall. Our music composer is Billy Lippy. Meryl Friedman designed our logo. You can find a transcript of this episode as well as a listening list on our website, bklynlibrary.org slash podcasts. Our beta listeners on this episode were Melissa Marone, Kat Savage, Carolisa Kimmel, and Lucretia Neal. That's it for this episode and Borrowed will be back next month. So until then, keep your ears open. Hey, Bard listeners, if you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. 
This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding. If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy, it only takes 30 seconds, and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to bklynlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support. <laughs>